Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we? Have you dried off from being outside? Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house, and uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, you have honored the Lord, but listen, you know, if, if I was going to have a birthday party... I think the best place to have a birthday party would be right here with God's people. Amen. And uh, David Klein, he, you know, he just decided to have a birthday party today. Ninety years old today. Praise the Lord. Doesn't look a day over 50. <laughs> Doesn't look a day over 50. I also want to give a shout out to Laura Butler. Laura's over here. She's like, what are you doing right now? Laura, will you stand up? I want to recognize Laura this morning. Uh, in the midst of me doing surgery and whatnot, I had to miss the celebration, but she just graduated uh, through the Faith Community Nursing uh, curriculum out at Shenandoah University to add another aspect of her nursing skills uh, to the full. And so I'm very proud of her, that Faith Community Nursing. Would, would you recognize her today? Congratulations. I'm sorry I wasn't able to be there, but I sent what was much better than me. I sent my wife in my stead, and so uh, uh, praise the Lord. If you have your Bible, turn with me to uh, Psalm 86 this morning. Psalm 86, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting in the Word of God. You know, one of the things about having surgery and not being able to speak, it, uh, it, it drives me crazy. Uh, and so I'm thankful for the opportunity to be upright and to be able to be with you this morning. I pray that our golfers, yes, I'm upright. Ernie says to sit down. Maybe, maybe in a little bit, Ernie. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, all the men, y'all made it safe back from North Carolina and your time away um, just fellowshipping and golfing together. And so uh, praise the Lord for that time that you were able to have. Psalm 86 this morning in the precious word of God. Look with me. We're going to read this beautiful prayer. Beginning in verse number one, David says, Bow down thine ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. That sums up, doesn't it? Anybody here poor and needy this morning? He says, For I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord. For I cry unto thee daily. Anybody, does that sound familiar? He says, rejoice the soul of thy servant. For unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications in the day of my trouble. I will call upon thee, for thou will answer me. Among the gods, little g, there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art a God alone. 
teach me. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all of my heart. I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. But thou, O God, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. He says, O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thy handmaid. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, has opened me and comforted me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for this beautiful passage of Scripture. God, we thank you for the promises of your word. And certainly, Lord, we gather around your throne this morning as we have already done so to sing praises under your holy name. We give you the honor because there is no one else that is due that same honor and majesty but you. Lord, I pray that today that your word would go forth and fall upon the good soil of our hearts. God, that it might spring forth into something beautiful in your time and in your season. And God, we give you the praise for what you do in our lives. And Lord, certainly we ask that you would be with those today who are struggling, those who need to hear specifically from you on this day, as we all do. Lord, I pray for those that may be here or may be watching that have yet to enter into the greatest relationship of all. They may have relationships in this world, but Lord, the greatest relationship that we could ever have is with you. And so Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself, that you would draw men and women and young people unto yourself where they might find forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. Lord, I pray that you'll be with me now, that you'll use your word, and God, I'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all of it. For it's in the precious name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake that we pray, amen and amen. Well, it's, uh, again, it's good to be here with you this morning. If you notice in scripture, here we find this prayer from David who uh, Acts, actually, Acts chapter 13 and verse number 22 re references the fact that David actually was that one that God was looking for back in Samuel. No, he was the man after God's own heart that he was looking for. And throughout David's life, the reality is that he had a passionate desire. The desire of David's heart really was to do and to live in a way that brought God honor and glory. But here's the reality of David's life. David was flawed. Can you say David was flawed? Because he was flawed just like you and just like me. He was far from being perfect. He, he was far from being without sin. He was prone, as the, as the song lyrics say, and come thou fount of every blessing. He was prone to wander, just as you and I are, from the God that he loved. However, one thing about David that stands out to me, David was an honest man. He was honest enough and he was willing, he was willing to uh, admit when he needed help. He was honest and willing to admit to himself and to the Lord uh, that he had problems. And, and when he did so, see, he was asking the Lord to reorient 
his heart time and time again. You remember back in Psalm 51, it was David who prayed in Psalm 51 and verse number 10, he asked God to create in him a clean heart. In other words, when he prayed that prayer back in Psalm 51, referencing a, 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 a bad time in his life when he fell, when he was flawed, when it became evident that he had sin in his life, that, that sin with Bathsheba. Remember, he's asking God in that moment. He's saying, Lord, he said, I need a heart transplant. I need you to transplant. I need you to take out the heart that has been so defiled by sin, and I need you to create in me a clean heart. And then you remember, he goes on and he says, renew a right spirit within me. Can I tell you that every one of us, if you haven't had it yet, we all need heart transplants. Spiritually speaking, you say, brother, my heart's working well. I'm not talking about the physical organ that pumps blood. I'm talking about spiritually. The reality is that just like David, we all need a heart transplant because sin actually separates us from God. And David knew that. But even after we're born again, let me just caution you, because even after we are born again into God's family, we must be aware of our heart's condition on a daily basis. And the reality is sometimes I think we're aware of our heart's condition, but are we willing like David? Are we, are we honest with ourselves and are we honest with God enough to ask God to reorient our hearts? After all, Jeremiah 17, 9 reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Proverbs 4.23 tells us to keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs 14.14 14 says the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And then if you look in Psalm 95 and verse number 8, and then you jump over to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 8 and verse number 12, Scripture warns and cautions us against hardening our hearts and allowing evil to sow unbelief in our lives. The issue of the heart, the lack of commitment, distractions, and wandering is not only something that David dealt with, but all throughout the Old Testament, and I've already suggested it's not only something that he dealt with, it's something that we deal with, but all throughout the Old Testament, Scripture actually reveals that all of God's people struggled. In fact, if you go all the way back to Deuteronomy in chapter 6, in verse number 4 and 5, listen to what uh, God through Moses tells the people. Moses says these words on behalf of God. says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, the Shema. It says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, and with all of thy might. In other words, God was saying, listen, I'm going to have first place. But does he have first place in our lives today? He says, I'm going to be uno number one. There's, there's to be no one after me. And remember, we know that from the Ten Commandments. Our God is a jealous God. And he wants to have our total, our total love and affection. By the way, you say, well, that's Old Testament. You know, Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 22. He said, you're to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. In fact, if you go over to Matthew, or Mark chapter 12, he adds on your strength as well. But see, we can do nothing except for the strength of God working in and through us. And so along with this complete love, God was actually desiring from his people back then and even now he was desiring complete devotion and complete obedience as well. In fact, in continuing in Deuteronomy chapter 6, notice what Moses says. He continues declaring, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and shall serve him and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods, lower g, 
of the gods, lower G, of the people which are round about you. In fact, if we were to go to chapter 8, Moses again warns in verse number 11, Beware thou, that thou forgettest not the Lord thy God. Two chapters after that, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, Moses reiterates God's command. But this time he asked the question. He says, you know, and this is what Jesus did a lot of times. He asked questions. And so Moses asked the question in verse number 12 and 13. He says, and now Israel, what does the Lord require of thee? But to fear thy God, to walk in his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command thee this day. Watch what he says, for thy good. He said, it's going to be good for you if you do exactly what the Lord says. We could go on and on all day looking at various passages. But the reality of Scripture is that time and time again, Israel fell short. They missed the mark, the definition of sin in the New Testament, hamartia. They missed the mark. By the way, I say all the time, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Bible college professor told me that one time. He said, you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. In fact, I've, you've seen these shows now where they have axe throwers. They're throwing axes at the, at the ring on the wall. And, and it, man, I don't know what kind of skill it takes to throw an axe, but guess what? Man, you, if you're not aiming at the target, you're going to miss it every time. And most of the time you miss it anyway because you don't know how to throw an axe. Right? <laughs> you see, Israel fell short. They missed the mark. And what we see, it's a repetitive situation over and over in the Old Testament. God calls his people back to repentance. And, and he does it over and over. It's almost like the long suffering of God. He says, hey, you need to repent. You need to turn from doing things your way and you need to do things my way. And he says, if you'll do these, what's interesting to me is that not only did he call them back to repentance over and over, but he promises, he promises that he will circumcise their heart, that he will purify their heart, and that he will set them apart to love, to serve, and to follow him in complete devotion. And there's a number of passages you can look up from Deuteronomy to Ezekiel to Jeremiah on that. So this wasn't just a David problem. It was an issue with everyone. But as we look back, look back at Psalm 86, because as we look back at our opening text, we find sandwiched right in the midst of this beautiful prayer, we find something very, very interesting. We find David's personal recognition and plea that his heart was in need of God's help. Listen, if you're here this morning and you are in need, your heart, you know, you know between you and you know between God that your heart is in need of help. Can I tell you, you're not able to help yourself. I can't help you, but I know someone who is, right? Notice in verse number 11, David recognizes and makes his plea for help. And he says right here, he says, teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. But notice, he's got a heart problem. In the midst of this beautiful prayer, he recognizes that there's something going on in his heart. He says, unite my heart to fear thy name. That word unite here in the Hebrew is taken from the primitive Hebrew word. And you got to get some stuff in your throat if you want to say it. You got to get the, you got you to almost like spit it out. It's yachad, yachad, yachad is what I said the other day. Chad and I were talking. I said it's the Hebrew word Yah-Chad when we look at it. But if you really want to say it right, you got to get some stuff in your throat. But notice what it means. 
Interesting more than how to say the word is what it means and what it's taken from. Notice it means to be or become one, to join. And so David says, Lord, he says here, he says, teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. But guess what? I need you to do something. If I'm going to walk in your truth, I need you to unite my heart. I need you to bring it or to make it to become one, to join it. And so remember, when we're talking about the heart, we're not talking about the physical organ that pumps blood today. We're talking about the seat of our emotions, our will, our, our desires, and, and on and on. And so this is what we're talking about. Literally, uh, Paul talks about the heart as the inner man or the inner woman. All right? And so we're talking about the mind, the heart, the emotions. And so what we have here is David honestly sharing that the seat of his emotions, the seat of his mind, the seat of his will was in need of being mended. And he knew that the only one who could mend his heart was God. And the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, puts the end of verse number 11 this way. It says, give me an undivided mind. You see the difference, mind versus heart. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. And so maybe you're here or maybe you're watching online and you would honestly say this morning, Lord, I need you to unite my heart. Can I tell you that you'll not walk in God's ways when your heart is not united. You're not going to, as verse 12 says, you're not going to praise the Lord if you have a heart that is split in two or three or four or five. You see, we live in a time, so many things are going on, and if we don't have a heart that is united, we cannot, we cannot actually honor the Lord. We cannot praise Him. We cannot glorify Him. The world, I put in my notes, continues to romp and stomp all over biblical truth. Anybody aware of that these days? The world does not want to hear what thus saith the Lord. But I believe that we as Christians have sat back in our easy chair for the most part. We've sat back. I'll sit down, Ernie, for a second. We sat back in our chair. We've sat back in our easy chair. And we've allowed our hearts to be pulled. We've allowed our hearts to be twisted. We've allowed our hearts to become so fragmented. And yet we're unwilling to recognize it and admit it to God. We pretend like we got it all together. Can I tell you, none of us have it all together. Anybody got it all together? I need to learn a trick or two from you. You know who had it together? His name was Jesus. He is our supreme example. You see, our hearts become so distracted. Our hearts become so divided that we end up pursuing things that amount to nothing. And these things keep us from living the abundant life we have in Christ. So friends, how is your heart? How's your heart this morning? Do you fear or reverence the name of the Lord God? Because that's what David was saying. He says, hey, unite my heart so that I'll be able to fear you. He says, I'm going to walk in your truth. I want to praise you. I want to glorify you. But guess what? I need you to unite my heart. So you fear in the name of the Lord this morning? You're walking in truth? Can you honestly say that you are regularly praising the Lord? Can you honestly say that you are bringing God the glory that he so richly deserves day in and day out? I don't know that anybody has reached that, that ultimate pinnacle of, of our heart's desire. But maybe other things, and here's the thing, other things, you can fill in the blank. It could be, it doesn't, I don't even need to know what's going on. Maybe something else has pulled you this way or pulled you that way. Or maybe something's got you discouraged this morning. Maybe something's got you worried. Maybe something's got you concerned. 
and you're thinking, man, how do I fix this? The reality is you don't. And neither do I. You see, things get in the way. They distract us. They divide our heart. And what ends up happening when we have a distracted or divided heart is we fail to love. We fail to serve. And we fail to follow God in the way that he so rightly desires and deserves. I think about in the Old Testament as well. You remember it was Joshua. Joshua declared in Joshua 24 and verse number 15 and 16 to the people of his time. He said, guess what, guys? You're going to have to make a choice. And Spain didn't know it this morning when he was talking about a choice and he was talking about being prepared. He was talking about the parable of the, of the ten virgins. Five had wisdom and five were foolish and, and on and on. But the reality is Joshua says, hey guys, you're going to have to make a choice. In verse number 15, he says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, he said, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Do you know if you have a heart that is divided or distracted, you're not going to serve the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. He says, whether the gods lowered ye which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He says these words. He says, but as for me and my house, he said, guess what? We're going to serve the Lord. I'm committed. My heart is straight in line. I'm going to serve the Lord. And then he says these words. He says, uh, verse number 16 says, and the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. And if you continue reading chapter 4, the people in solidarity, they, Joshua asked them again and again. They said, oh yeah, oh yeah, we're going to serve the Lord. Then he asked them, oh yeah, we're going to serve the Lord. He asked them a third, yeah, we're going to serve the Lord. And Joshua says in verse number 22, he says, you are witnesses against yourselves. He says, you want to serve the Lord? Your witness is against yourself, but he doesn't stop right there because in verse number 23, he says, listen, if you're going to serve the Lord with one heart, one soul, one mind, he said, then notice this in verse 23, he said, you're going to need to put away. You're going to have to get rid of those strange gods which are among you. See, we live in a land today where many strange gods are roaming about. And if we're not careful... If our heart is not united in our fear of God. And when I say fear, I'm not talking about crawling around, scared under the bed, hiding under the covers. I'm talking about a holy reverence of God Almighty. His superiority. The fact that He is supreme. He is above all. As Chad was talking about, He has been given a name which is above every name. That's what I'm talking about, reverencing God. But unless our heart is united, that will not take place. There's a human illustration of this principle of solidarity of, of heart. And uh, if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me. Flip back just a few pages to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. In my Bible, it's on page 299. All right? That'll give you a hint. All right? That you're headed in the right direction. As you're turning, I want you to know that this passage is actually dealing, uh, talking about a number of soldiers that come to David's aid when he's at Ziklag, a place called Ziklag. Uh, how do you like to be from Ziklag, Virginia? Like, hey, hey, I'm from Ziklag, Virginia. <laughs> so he's at this place called Ziklag in Hebron. And, and so these soldiers, they come to his aid. And uh, officially, now some of you are going to go and you're going to read chapter 11. You're going to say, hey, he was king. Officially, David is not king yet. 
officially, okay? Uh, but anyway, uh, I just know I had to put that precursor out there before I get 12 emails. He's, he's officially not king yet, and so, uh, but these soldiers understand for the most part. Now, there's a group of them that don't. Uh, for the most part, they understand that God's hand is on David and that he is ultimately going to be replacing Saul as the king at that time. And so as you're reading in this chapter, we read about uh, the men of Judah, the men of Simeon and Levi and Benjamin and Ephraim. And, and we also read about half of the tribe uh, in verse 31. We read about half of the tribe of Manassas. All right, never mind. Fell flat. We read, you guys are, man, has the sleep put you all to, has the rain put you all to slumber? Y'all like my puppy, you didn't want to wake up this morning. So half the tribe of Manasseh are there, and so, but perhaps most famous uh, group of men that we read about in these groups that were coming to David's aid were these men of the tribe of Issachar. Now Issachar, the lesser known tribe, uh, really to be honest, but they're known they're known in this passage because, you know, pastors like Herb and Gary and others have preached probably hundreds of messages on the men of Issachar. Because in verse number 32, the Bible says that they were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Can I tell you this? You're no different than the men of Issachar. You say, what do you mean? Everyone in this room, if you're a blood-bought child of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know what to do. And you say, how do I know what to do? Because he gave us his word. We don't have to guess the sign of the times. We, hey, all you have to do is look around and see that we're living in perilous times. And so if you want to know what to do, if you want to have the mind of Christ, then I say have the mind of Christ. It's right here. It's called His Holy Word. And so we can know what to do as well by obeying His Word. But I, what I want us to see is not the men of Issachar. You say, what do you want us to see? I want you to see the men from the tribe of Zebulun. Because in, chat, in verse number 33, they, the Bible says that they were experts in war with all instruments of war, 50,000 which could keep rank. These guys knew what war was all about. They're like, hey, we're going to go support David. We're men of war. We have the instruments of war. We know how to walk. We know how to keep rank. We know what we're doing when we go to war. That's somebody you want on your side, right? You want warriors when you go to war. But I'm not pointing out the fact that they were men that were ready to go to war or that they were men with instruments of war. What I'm pointing out to you is that at a tenuous time, these men recognized that God's hand was on David. And so they were willing to follow David to the nth degree. Why can I say that? Because the very last part of verse number 33 tells us that they were not, they were not of double heart. Their heart was not divided. They weren't Half of Manassas, half of Manassas, now you got me saying it. Half of Manassas, they were, they were thinking that Saul was going to win. And so they're like, no, 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 we're out. So only half of that, those jokers were behind David. But the men of Zebulun, they said, listen, we know what we're doing. We know how to go to war. And guess what? We're all in. Why? Because we're not double-minded. We're not double-hearted. They were trained and ready to fight. 
which is a great thing, but the most amazing things is that most amazing thing about these men is that they were willing to stand with David. And the same thing must be said of you and I when it comes to standing for the things of God. They made their choice, just as Joshua said. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. And the men of Zebulun said, guess what? This is, this, we see that this is God's man. And so we're going to stand with God's man. We're not going to be on the other side of this thing. No matter what takes place, we're going to be with him. And so they were all in. They were ready to serve and follow. Why? Because their hearts were undivided and their hearts were undistracted. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, just one verse. Don't worry, we won't be there long. Matthew chapter 5. I want you to see this. The words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here in the Beatitudes, a passage known as the Beatitudes. And notice what Jesus says in verse number 8. Draw your attention to verse number 8. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now that word pure, the word pure here comes from the Greek word katharos and means to be clean, to be clear, to be pure in motive. So by using this specific word, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is saying, hey, listen, he's referring to, you want to be pure in heart, you need to have a heart that is single-minded in its devotion. If you're going to see God, what Jesus was saying is you got to have a pure heart. And David, back in his prayer, says, God, I need you to unite my heart. He recognized something was going on inside of his heart. And until you and I are honest enough with ourselves and honest enough with God, we'll never, ever, ever see God the way he wants us to see him. We need a pure heart. On the other hand, James actually says this in James 1.8. He says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So notice the, notice the difference. Jesus says a pure heart sees God. James says an unstable or a double-minded man is uh, unstable. In other words, that reaps instability. You see, a double-minded or double-hearted person is either spiritually undetermined. You say, how do I know that? Listen, if you're not convinced that Jesus is the Savior of the world, if the Word of God and the Spirit of God has not brought you to the point of salvation, you're undetermined. You're a double heart, double mind. Same thing. You're either undetermined or you're uncertain. There's a lot of people who trust Jesus Christ, but they're uncertain whether they could trust him tomorrow. Isn't that what we do? We trust him for the forgiveness of our, of our sins. We trust him. We're headed for heaven and we can't help it. And yet we go out on Monday through Saturday and we're not sure we can trust him. There's a problem with that. So we're either undetermined, uncertain, or in many cases, what happens to us as believers is when we allow the world to pull and to twist and to fragment our heart, we become unhinged. Anybody know anybody unhinged? You ever met somebody who's unhinged? I have. Not pretty. You might think I'm unhinged today. You know what I get unhinged about? I get unhinged about the things of God and the fact that some people don't want to hear about the things of God. Listen, what we're talking about is vitally important today. I think about, you know, I, I put in my notes, a person who is pure in heart, biblically speaking, will be zeroed in on one thing and one thing only, and his name is Jesus. And I was thinking about uh, Daniel in the Old Testament. I know some of you love, I know Gordon loves Daniel and whatnot. I was thinking about Daniel in the Old Testament. 
What was the secret to Daniel's success? And I know a lot of people are going to say, God. Like, what's the secret to my success? God, Jesus. Now, aside from the simplistic answer of God, what was the secret of his, sec- of his success? Think about it. He was, Daniel, I think the secret of his success is he was certain of who he was. Even as a child, you know, he was well favored. And Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, go bring me the children. In other words, take them captive as slaves. He's marched across the desert into the, uh, into the pagan city of Babylon. And yet Daniel was sure of who he was. But Daniel was also determined not to dishonor God. You remember right from the get-go. They want Daniel to eat the king's meat and drink the king's wine and on and on. They place him in a school. They give him a new language. They, they literally teach him the customs of a culture that he was very unfamiliar with. By the way, that culture was very paganistic. And so they're teaching him these things. They're teaching him a new language. They give him a new name. By the way, his new name has a pagan meaning. Yet Daniel, he determined that he was not going to dishonor God. At the end of the day, Daniel never became spiritually unhinged. You say, why why was he able to do that? It's because Daniel had spiritual integrity. In Daniel chapter 1, in verse number 8, Being Jewish, it says, Daniel says, he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor the wine which he drank. Later on, if you go to chapter 6, you remember what happens in chapter 6. There's a new king, King Darius, and these jokers who know that Daniel is a man of integrity, a man of God, they get Darius to sign this 30-day decree that no one's able to petition or to pray to God unless you're praying to Darius, right? You say, well, what happened? Well, in Daniel chapter 6, in verse number 10, the Bible tells us, as as they say, here's the rest of the story. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened, his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before he, for his God as he did aforetime. And by the way, you know this act of worship of Dan? Daniel took him right, right where? He took him to the lion's den. Even though King didn't want to do it, He had signed that decree, and they said, no, 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 you signed the decree. He's got to go in the lion's den, right? He's like, he's he's fretful. He's like, no, no, no. And they say, oh, yes, yes, yes. But you know the rest of the story. (laughs) The next day, old Daniel, he was still hanging out. I put in my notes, if we go back to the beginning, that's where it starts. Because in the beginning, I find something that was very instrumental in Daniel's success, not only in chapter 1, but all the way through his life, right? And we find it again in Daniel 1, in verse number 8, with this little phrase. Notice what it says. But Daniel purposed in his heart. You see, Daniel was sure of who he was, and he was confident in whose he was. Therefore, he was not going to eat, drink, or do anything that would bring shame to his God. They might have changed his name, they might have changed the way he looked, uh, but they could not change who he was or who he belonged to. You see, you could take him out of, out, of, out of Israel, you could take him and put him in Babylon, but guess what? You might even dress him up like he was a Babylonian, but at the end of the day, in his heart of hearts, he was a servant of the living God. And he said, no, 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 no. 
You can do all this. You can give me a new name. You can put new clothes on me. You can make me go through your little training program school. You can do all these things. But what you cannot do is change who I am on the inside. And folks, can I tell you, this world that we're living in is trying to change who we are on the inside. They're not concerned about the clothes you wear, the cars you drive. They're not concerned about the homes that you live in. They're concerned about what's going on in the heart. There's an all-out assault. There's an all-out battle for the hearts and the minds of our young people today. And it starts right over here in school when they're in grade school. I don't know if you've paid attention to what they're teaching our kids today. And guess what? Teachers, in, for the most part, listen, most part, they don't have a choice. They're being inundated unless they're in a Christian school, a private school, a home school, or some other way. The reality is, and listen, I'm not slamming public school because if you know me, you know all of my kids went to public school, right? I told my boys, listen, let this light shine. You got a light in you, let it shine. So I'm not beating down public schools, but the reality is this. And if you're really going to be honest, there's an all-out assault for the hearts and minds of our young people. Why? Because they know if they can get their heart and mind now, it does damage later. That's a whole nother message. I didn't have that in my notes. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, nor King Darius could do anything about what was going on inside of Daniel's heart. God protected him. And God will protect us as well. And James, James has a lot to say about this. Not only did James say a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways in chapter 1, but when you get over to chapter 4, notice what James says in chapter 4 in verse number 8. He says, draw nigh to God. That word nigh means near. He says, draw near, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. But notice, he doesn't stop there. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's that Greek word, same word that was used earlier, dipsikos. For the, when we're speaking of a double-minded person, it's this word dipsikos, and it means to vacillate. It means to be indecided. It means to waver, and on and on. And so the reality is to vacillate speaks of hesitation and indecision. And that's why James says, guess what? I know you got double-minded. I know you're double-minded. So guess what? You need to cleanse your hands, and you need to purify your heart. And he says the only one who can do that is the Lord our God. That's why he said you got to draw nigh to God, right? Draw nigh to God. That's how you're going to have the answer. You need to cleanse your hands. You need to purify your hearts, but you're not capable of doing it on your own. You need to draw nigh to God first. It's one thing, by the way, to draw nigh to God with our mouths, but it's another thing when we draw near to him with a pure, undistracted, undivided heart. Do you know that Isaiah, and even in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus referencing Isaiah, talk, he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. And he says, this people, they draw near, they draw nigh to me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. Oh, there's a lot of, a lot of people who talk a good talk, 
But God's desire is not that we talk a good talk. His desire is that we live the abundant life for which he laid down his life for us. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, when he proclaimed, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Now stop right here. He says, this one thing I do. Not two things, not three things, not four things. He said, this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, after Christ came in, Paul was different. And if Christ has come in, we ought to be different. And if we're not different, there's a problem. If, we're, if, we're, if our desire is not for the Lord to unite our heart so that we might reverence Him, so that we might walk with Him, so that we might praise Him, and so that we might glorify Him. If our desire is not, Lord, unite my heart, then there's a problem somewhere here in our life. Paul no longer desired to rely on the world's wisdom or even his own. But I put in my notes, he had what was referred to as spiritual tunnel vision. In fact, guys, will you put up verse 14 again? Because in Philippians 3.14, he says, I press toward the mark. The word mark there is the word in Greek. It's the word skopos. I used many, many years ago, Mark loaned me one of his scopes off of his rifles. I had to pay a, a user fee for that. No, I didn't. But maybe you pick up what Paul's saying. I press toward the mark, the skopos. I have tunnel vision now. And I'm not concerned with what the world has to say. I'm not concerned with what they have to say. I'm concerned with Jesus Christ and him crucified. Remember, a couple verses earlier, he says that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He said, I've got tunnel vision now. I'm looking unto the author and the finisher of my faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He despised the shame on my behalf. And he says, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking at Jesus and I'm wanting to live for Jesus because I'm resolute. My heart is intact. It is one. It is one with the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, that's what God desires for you and me as well. Do you know why they put blinders on racehorses? Because there's a whole bunch of jokers over in the stands screaming. And they're trying to tell the racehorses, you need not concern yourself with what's up in the stands. Yes, we have so great a cloud of witnesses. You need not concern yourself what's on the infield around this track. What you need to concern yourself with, jockey, what you need to concern yourself with, horse, is the race that has been set before you. That's why, as Gary was talking about a couple of weeks ago, we're not to let the sin which so easily doth beset us become a problem for us. We are to keep our focus, our mind, our heart in one intact on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we recognize, as David did, that we had a problem or that we have a problem, we have to ask him to fix it. I might get worked up today. Paul's heart. Paul's heart was changed. His heart was different. Remember, he's on the way to... 
on the road to Damascus to tear down believers, followers of the way of Christianity. His heart was different. It was changed and transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. But can I tell you, just like David, that does not mean that Paul never struggled. Because in Romans chapter 7, he gives us a reminder that he struggled summarily all the time. He said, the good that I know that I'm supposed to do, those are the things that I don't do. And the things that I know that I'm not supposed to do, those are the stupid things that I find myself doing. You and I are not different from David or Paul or anyone else who we find in the Word of God. Which is why, just like Paul and David and others knew, we need the Spirit. We need the Spirit's help. We need the Holy Spirit of God to work in our life. Listen, we need the Spirit's strength and wisdom, the fruit of the Spirit being evidenced in our lives as believers because we live in a world where biblical values are constantly being under attack. And while you and I may not change the world, the danger is of allowing the world to change us. That's why I asked today, how's your heart? How's your heart? You see, because David said in Psalm 86 in verse number 11, he prayed, unite my heart to fear thy name. You see, he looked within and he recognized again that his heart was being pulled in this way and this way and that way and whatever way. And he knew that he was unable because his heart was God's domain. He knew that he was unable to provide a remedy for his heart. And so he prays out to God. He says, unite my heart. To fear your name and then I'll praise you. And then I'm going to glorify your name. So I just asked a few questions. Are you where you know you need to be this morning spiritually? See, this is where the rubber meets the road. You see, because David was willing and honest with God. The question is, will we be honest with ourselves? Will we be honest with God this morning? So let me ask, are you where you know you need to be spiritually? Is your heart divided? Is your heart distracted? Is your life a living testimony of the sweet relationship with Jesus Christ that I know that you want it to be and that our God desires it to be? Or maybe you are here. Have you ever even asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and to be your Savior? Can I tell you, you don't have a, you don't have a heart that's united until Jesus Christ unites your heart. It just is impossible. You might be a good person, but I can tell you that... We're not going to work our way to heaven. We're not going to give our way to heaven. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. You said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Where are we this morning? Only you and the Lord know the true state of affairs in your heart. I put down, if you're running low on love, if you find yourself regularly distracted or worried or confused, if you seem to be falling prey to unbiblical thoughts, and unbiblical temptations, if you struggle with anger or some other habit, if you find yourself making excuses rather than taking ownership for your own actions, if you've started loving the world more and Jesus less, if you constantly battle unbelief or the lack of faith, if you struggle to find peace and rest, chances are there is something going on in your heart because when your heart is not right, nothing works right. And until we, and until you, until all of us recognize and admit 
our need of God's help, nothing changes. I close with one verse because there's a principle here. Just a principle. It comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse number 9. The Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. The only way that our heart is made perfect toward him is through the word and the spirit of God. How's your heart? Is it divided? Is it distracted? Are you here this morning? Maybe you're undetermined. Maybe maybe you're still undetermined about Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that Jesus loves you and he died for you? There's no need to be undetermined. There's no need to be uncertain. Maybe you've trusted Christ, but you've not been living for Christ. There's no need to be uncertain because he is the Savior of the world. Scripture says that all power is given to him in heaven and in earth. Listen, he is over all. He is in all and he works through all. Through God the Father as Ephesians. We learned that Wednesday night. But maybe here, and if you're honest, you'd say, you know what, I've become a little bit unhinged. Can I beg you? Can I beg you to take time? Because we're going to sing a song of invitation right now. Can I beg you to take some time to come and ask God, Lord, unite my heart. I need you to mend it. I need, you to, I need you to solidify my heart so that I might love you, so that I might serve you, so that I might follow you in the way that you desire and really the way that I desire. Lord, help me not to fall prey to the junk that this world is trying to sell, that this world is trying to communicate to me. Help me, help me not to be changed or swayed. Lord, I need your strength. I encourage you right now, do business with the Lord. Because I can tell you this, as soon as you walk out these doors, as soon as you walk out these doors, the moment will be gone, it'll be forgotten, and the devil will keep telling you to put it off, put it off, put it off. Now is the time of salvation. Today is the accepted time, right? And so if you need Christ as your Savior, I pray that you'll make that decision today, that you'll ask the Lord to forgive you and to come into your life. If you need the Lord to unite your heart, I pray that you'll burn up the carpet and do that as well. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would be honored and glorified through this song of invitation. God, as we, your people, do business with you, I pray, I pray that you will do what only you can do by uniting our hearts, that you will bring about change in our life as only you can do. Lord, help us to honor you in this moment. Help us not to be ashamed. Help us to be honest with ourselves and with you. Help us to give you the praise and help us to pray unto your holy name the prayer that is needed in this moment. And we'll give you the praise and the honor for it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.